said talk to me, damn it, or else I'm gonna throw you in the fire! You stupid bitch, you filthy! Welcome back to Flyover State of Fear. I got another great guest for you, Josh Stifter. Um, I hope I didn't stutter and pronounce that too wrong for you. How you doing, Josh? I'm doing great. No, you you got it perfect. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like a running joke that my parents named me Josh Stifter, which is like one of the hardest names to say. Uh, my grandma used to make up the joke where she would she would say it like over and over again. She'd be like, "It's so hard to say, Josh Stifter." It's not as I was saying it. Um, I mean, hey, I you got it perfect. Long, you did it just long chincharic. You know, that's it. You have to hear it before you. You know, you my last name, but I I even apologize as I thought about it, and then that little stutter you get at the st- anyway. Uh, thank you for joining me. Josh is a writer, director of uh, some pretty fun movies, The Good Exorcist, Great Woods Plot, and The Upcoming Scumbag. Uh, Josh, uh, how's it going? And uh, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm a filmmaker. I made my uh, first feature, The Good Exorcist, with Robert Rodriguez's Rebel Without a Crew. Um, I work in the indie film world uh low budget movies everything Mm -hmm. i've done has been made for like nickels and dimes seven thousand dollars of robert rodriguez money which is like such an arbitrary number in in low indie filmmaking it's like there you're 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 no budget filmmaking you're yeah you still got it done i uh I uh, look forward to, I was telling you before the show, look forward to viewing The Good Exorcist with the, a group I have that we watched the, you know, indie filmmaking and uh, more so like B-movie uh, almost weekly. So uh, that is like prioritized on our list of getting together. Um, yeah, they, I think it's a good so one for fun. that. It's a it's a good movie for that. I think both of them are, uh, Greywood's Plot and The Good Exorcist are mm-hmm. good B movie for people who like indie film. They're the perfect kind, like like truly indie film. Yeah, not like the you know one point five million dollar movie with Ryan Gosling that they call an indie film. It was a small um, budget, but yeah, we did spend over a million dollars and got Ryan Gosling. Um, yeah, and and you know, and those are the movies that I I grew up watching bad movies, and I really liked the movies that were kind of cheesy and didn't. You know, they weren't perfect. I like things with flaws. Like, sure. one of my favorite... The Simpsons is my favorite show Oh, ever. it's, it's and, up there for me as well. I've, uh... <laughs> and I love, like, I remember when The Simpsons came out in HD, a lot of people were complaining about it because, yeah, I've, I've got that somewhere over here, too. And I, I got the, the I got the Funko version. Dude, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> do this. This is gonna just take me a hot second. Yeah, yeah. I love... Uh... I literally have it right here. Oh my god, yeah, in the playset. <laughs> that is suffering. It's underneath this desk by that, and then uh, I have the pop right next to him. I just, I know, not to cut you off, I just cut, I just was taking down my Halloween uh, 
the the Burger King treehouse of horror. Oh, nice. Like I like eBayed like three lots of them. Anyway, so but but about the Simpsons. Sorry, that that caught yeah. my ear. I love the fact that the Simpsons, uh, like now that you know we've got our four K TVs and stuff. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things is watching the Simpsons and like going frame by frame because I'm an animator by trade. Oh, great! And and seeing the cells and the like drop shadow behind the, from the characters and looking at like the animation, the paint that's running off the yeah. edge. I love flawed things like as that. As a as a kid, I remember. Um, uh, yeah, I, I was watching. Um, I would, I would watch so much of like the seasons of Simpsons I had, and then eventually you listen to the commentary, right? And like oh, I remember yeah. like Matt Groening watching them, and him going, "Oh, you see that?" And then immediately my I know you know you notice that it was like a leg. It's like season one or two. Like a leg is not colored in going yeah. over like a uh, a desk or something. Homer anyway. has two noses at one point. Like yeah. in season two, there's like a spot where Homer has two noses, and it. You probably wouldn't notice it if you didn't watch them over and over again. But now mm. they like those things stand out to me like a sore thumb in the best way. Yeah, the best it, sore thumb. And you find that you talked about the you know like more of the TV and the HD or the 4K is. Uh, I know there are a lot of movies like that now, especially like filmmakers didn't plan for that clarity, so they let things slide. Like uh, one of my favorite horror movies of all time, and I, I do think it's and, and Polar Geist is here too. Um, but uh, it's like in Candyman, right? Like you could clearly, there's one shot and that is now like someone watched called that. Like he barges through a window and you see the harness and everything like yeah. that. And no one noticed that beforehand, you know? Um, so My anyway. My favorite is seeing like the stunt drivers in action movies where you'll see like a stunt driver and before you never would have noticed it. But now you look and you're like, Sandra Bullock is a like 50 year old man suddenly with a wig on and you're like oh the we greatest, weren't supposed to see that the greatest one is and face off on the boat chase john travolta and nicholas cage their stunt doubles jumping off and they're what you don't even need the high def for that one they're wildly just no. two different men that is one of my favorites that is such yeah. a great one um but I like I like flawed movies, and I like movies that take weird risks and mix genre, like Poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Like one of the reasons I love Poltergeist is because it is this weird, like family drama mixed with a kind of a family comedy mixed with horror, and the horror is like really creepy, it's but it's PG, PG thirteen, it... you know. But it, it's not an R rated horror. It it just jumps around so no. much. It um and soon jump around. I will jump to my thought here. I have a a pretty deep uh, or I think deep relationship with the movie as well. So uh, I do like to begin every podcast by asking though, what is your you kind of already devolved into a little bit of it? Your horror origin story, kind of like uh, as a filmmaker, animator. But what got you into the genre? Because it um and as if you aren't into it or not into it, but I. I am very into it. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I I say I'm very into it, but I honestly, I'm kind of into all genres. Like, there isn't... I'm the kind of person who can actually watch a romantic comedy. Oh, I love love all movies and romantic comedies or, you know, so, yeah. And, um... So and and the same goes for horror where there's stuff that I just I'm there's a lot of horror that I'm personally not into. There's mm-hmm. like a specific kind of horror that I get. I understand why people like it, but 
I'm not really a jump scare person, which okay. is ironically talking about Poltergeist, which has some of the best jump scares, but it, because they do it so differently, it works for me. Um, well, done right, it's done right. Done right, it's amazing. But just, you know, the the teenage horror movie mm. that is just like jump scare after jump scare has, doesn't really do all that much for me. Um, but I got into horror as a like three year old. I my Ooh. neighbor had um, so I lived next to these three brothers, and one of them was my age. One of them was a little older, and then the the third one was like way older. Like mm-hmm. you know, I was I was three, four, whatever. Sure. This kid was like probably eleven, twelve, thirteen. And his, their parents did not care what they watched. Like, they would let them watch everything. So I was a little kid going over to their house and Nightmare on Elm Street would be played. Or oh, yeah, you know, yeah, Chucky yeah. was a constant staple of my youth. And so I grew up watching horror movies. That was just on all the time. Um, and then I got into... Uh, as I started getting a little older, I got really into bad movies. Like Mystery Science Theater 3000 okay. yeah, and yeah, yeah. watching... Watching the late night, um, the, the the crappy movies like the old fifties black and white Ed Wood type movies, yeah, stuff Planet like that. Nine or yeah. Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, or just that Loved whole it. the brain so, that doesn't live or the brain that wouldn't die. Yeah, shit like yeah, that. which but then becomes the head that wouldn't die or whatever. Yeah, yeah. it's so genius, and I I, I love that kind of stuff. So, um, that's sort of where. You know, I I would pick up a camera then, and my my dad bought a VHS camcorder when I was probably five or something like that. And the running joke in my family was just like the you couldn't keep ketchup around for a week because I got the ketchup and there would be fake blood and everything. So I oh, would I do rule. shorts where it was like, you know, a little fake hand is crawling across the floor and there's blood being sprayed i there was one that we specifically did where we made it so it looked like a hand running across the across the floor which was just used like crappy you know kid-like effects doing what we could throwing a blanket over the edge or that's amazing though stuff like that and then at one point we captured it in this little basket my mom had and tied a string to it and it's like crawling around in the basket or like pulling the basket that kind of those kind of little effects like that um you know, and then I think the, the hand jumps out and grabs a friend by the throat and ketchup sprays out. Yeah. Uh, so I got and and you I found I could get the most not shock. I wasn't going for necessarily shock, but I could get the most out of people with making these little horror projects. So mm-hmm. it made me even get into horror more when I started filming this stuff and then watching horror movies going like, how did they do it? And how did they do it? Oh, such a fascinating part of everything. And then, you know, the, the mix of genre between comedy, the comedy and horror work kind of in the same way. So I really gravitated towards comedy horror stuff. Like, I mean, like toxic Avenger was a huge one for me because it mixed horror, comedy, vulgarity, blood, superhero from New Jersey, baby. Yeah, exactly. Um, which was like a total, you know, amazing moment in my life when Lloyd Kaufman called me up and was like, Hey, you want to put the good exorcist on trauma? It was like, of course, Easily. like in a heartbeat. Um, and then we did a whole Blu-ray. So the good exorcist I need is to available. Get that Blu-ray. I have a nice collection myself and I, the order. it's a that. great Blu-ray. It has 
we Lloyd and I did an intro for it that is really funny to me. I, um, I generally can't wait. I will be ordering that after our interview. Awesome. Yeah. So, but I, you know, so I kind of grew up with horror movies and mm-hmm. watched them my whole life. And then, um, just it just continued on and i still am a huge fan i have a projection i have a projector and a big projection screen in my condo um in in the living room and my favorite thing is to i treat it like a drive-in so watching horror movies at in my drive-in theater is like it's that's so I mean, fun. after we're done with this podcast there's like a 95 percent chance that i'm gonna go watch something on there i watched smile like two days ago in the projection screen i watched all last week of myself yeah and um um so yeah huge horror that's great i love that story and how you came to that and i'd love to hear that um uh, you get to do your passion and like um the our our unique little world of horror and everything um, for a living. And, you know, you yeah, get to run that through and that's amazing. Work with my friends and yeah. make these weird little indie films and Be an artist. Yeah. And, and I, and the way I've worked it, I haven't had to so far be told no by producers much. Mm-hmm. So I'm making movies that I'm at this point in my career, I'm making yeah. movies where I'm just like, I want to make the movies that, I would be told no. Like yeah. I, I want to do the scenes where people would be like, "You cannot put this joke in there. You cannot mm-hmm. have, you know, this this stupid thing." And I'm like, I can though. I can put. I can have it. There's an animated sequence in Greywood's plot that it's it's sort of divisive. Some mm-hmm. people don't like it. Some people do. But it's it's Keith. Who's, Keith, yeah. who's one of my friends, tells the story about a killer hobo. Uh, like a cannibalistic hobo <laughs> and it cuts to animation and we animated it and did it as this thing. And some people are like, it, it's so out there. It's such a strange moment. And at one point we talked, Daniel and I, who's Daniel's my best friend slash producer slash co-writer cool. and he acts at everything. He is father Gill in the good exorcist. Okay. He, um, and the titular Doug Graywoods in Graywoods plot. So Daniel, he's also my producer. So I sent him this scene and, you know, we watched the movie a bunch of times and we got, to, it gets to that point and we constantly were like, do we take this out or do we leave it in? And I, my go-to all the time was like, we will never get to put this scene in another movie. Like this scene, no, it's your scene. if we were, if we were working with a studio, they would tell us that, that, that one's going to go. And I'm like, no, we, we got to keep it in there for now. Well, we can. That's great, man. Um, that's like so much fun because, you know, you, you, you hear the opposite or like a watered down version of like, yeah, I wanted to do that. And then, you know, it, it's, it's a, it's a half truth. Um, I love to hear that. And that's, uh, that's really fun. And, um, yeah, I, I, I one thing I want to still in kind of what you're, we were talking about before, right before we get to the Exorcist. I like how you've also pointed out that you grew up watching all that stuff, and you then pivoted towards like the you know quote unquote bad movies and yeah. like the unique and horror comedy. And uh, I relate to that myself a little bit too. It was like kind of like watching things since like five or whatever, and you know parents who didn't filter that stuff, and then eventually a little later it was like. I wanted to start watching the trash and I'm going to revel in the trash. And it's so much yeah. fun. Like, 
And I, I, uh, I like, yeah. So I, I just want to say I relate to that a lot and, you know, fall in love and making stuff with your friends. And, um, that's so I awesome think, to hear. I think there's also this like thing where, <clears throat> especially right now, to make something that isn't perfect instantly becomes like, this is an imperfect thing. And there's like, because there are negatives in it, people are like, it's bad, it's negative. Mm -hmm. And I've always kind of looked at things differently, where I'm like, when it's perfect, when it's really polished and really great, I kind of lose interest because it doesn't, I don't feel any relatability to it. I don't feel like, I don't want everything to be like 100% perfect. I want, I want the emotion of having the good and the bad and the everything and scenes that take risks and weird moments where you're like oh my god why did we why did they cut it like that or what's going on here there are things in poltergeist that i personally would not have done in the way they yeah and but at the same time i'm like i love that they did it because that's not what i would have done i i'm i'm curious i'm interested to hear about that because um this is definitely the first time i've seen this movie a lot maybe not as much as you, but for a lot, that I've watched it and wrote notes down and was paying more attention to things in it than just watching it. And uh, the only thing I want to add what you say is, um, yeah, I guess I find myself more critical of things that are perfect, right? Like, I, like, you know, I have a Twitter opinion about a movie because everything wants to go polished. But if I'm going into something and I'm like, we're just watching it for warts and all and funny, yeah. there's no need to be critical in the you know in the negative sense uh so it's interesting to hear that right like it's a thing so polished right uh, uh like i just i just saw uh the recent black panther um okay uh, what kind of fur? i haven't fun seen movie. it yet fun movie yeah. good movie sure. i did like my wife asked how it was and i did have like not notes but you know it was like here are yeah, some yeah. thoughts that aren't just it was great because and it was very good <laughs> sure you know and i probably wouldn't have said that if she said How's the good exorcist? I believe it was a fucking blast. You know? Yeah, like yeah. The... So, anyway, today we are talking about Poltergeist. And um, you have, I was just a listener, because you have one of my uh, now favorite origin stories of that question. And all my guests have had good ones, but that is so unique and different. Um, but, so I like to start this all off. We're talking about the original Poltergeist. And I do read the plot and... Um, so anyone listening or, you know, I have copy and pasted this and I have not read it. And I do this because these plot descriptions when you go to Google are either two things accurate or it's 1982 horror movie directed by Toby Hooper. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what I say. All right. (laughs) I love it. Strange and creepy happenings, uh, beset an average California family, the Freelings, Steve, Diane, teenage Dana, eight-year-old Robbie, and five-year-old Carol Ann. When ghosts commune with them through the television set, initially friendly and playfully, um, the spirits turn unexpectedly menacing, and when Carol Ann goes missing, Steve and Diane turn to a parapsychologist and eventually an exorcist for help. That's one of the more accurate summaries I've pulled. Yeah. Um... So anyway, um, kind of said a little earlier, but I mean, like about the uniqueness of genres. But uh, why, why Poltergeist? What, what drove you to wanting to talk about this today? 
so there are first off there are quite a few poltergeist references in the good exorcist like at one point father gill is literally holding up a sheet and he's like they're here <laughs> and then they all look at him like what the hell are you doing and he's like it's poltergeist i'm i'm doing poltergeist <laughs> and so Iconic. like that yeah so that you know the fact that my movie is very much referential to that is one reason why but also because it's a movie that i feel like there's a lot to talk about mm-hmm. um positive and negative but mostly positive and when it is negative yeah. it's interestingly negative it's there's nothing in this movie that i go i dislike this yeah there's I just wanna... things where i'm like i mean there's the the i don't know if you know about this but the sort of iconic pizza hut edit I, so i learned about it today while watching this and um I mean, literally, when we were messaging with first, when I we were like trying to figure it out, I was like, "Shit, I just watched that this morning," and yeah. I must have not been like paying attention because I've never noticed it. You know, right. the, the weird cut, the weird just and, and, abrupt cut. And I'm 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 note taking and I'm watching the movie and I'm typing and uh and I go wait and I rewound it. You know, and she doesn't Carol Ann's mouth doesn't match with I want food. Or, or I want pizza yeah, yeah. or something. And it goes, and then the cut. They're like the, walking the, to the door. Yeah, the cut, they're walking to the door. The audio's still going, and I literally paused it. I'm reading about it, but I was like, I only thought it was the pull. I didn't realize this one. I'm like, I guess my Blu-ray's fucked up. Because I, yeah. I know I got it from a secondary store. And I literally, and this happened an hour ago, or two, three hours ago. I go to HBO Max, and I knew I just watched it there, and not my Blu-ray, and I rewind the scene, and, it's, and I say, okay, and then I went back to the Blu-ray, because I'd rather watch it on my Blu-ray, but that is so weird, and I was literally, I'm glad you brought that up immediately, because it's kind of all that I thought about for the next two hours of the movie. Yeah, because <laughs> it's a weird, it's a, like, especially as an editor, I, when I saw it a few years ago, and I kind of know more about editing. I pay. Mm-hmm. I can't like not pay attention sure. to the edit. And it, I think Daniel and I were actually watching it, and it it happened. It jumped, and I was like, "What the hell was that?" And he was like, "That's the Pizza Hut edit." And so we went and looked it up to to figure it out. And apparently, the line that was in there was he says something like, "Oh, I hate Pizza Hut" or yeah. something like that. And Pizza Hut was not happy with it, and mm-hmm. so they cut it out. And instead of like trying to smooth the edit, they were just like, "Nope, chop it, move it, done." We're it was, out. and it was chopped and moved. Like the, the the word of the theory is like for week, like 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 two weeks into release or like before release. So was that it? Maybe it was never even seen by the filmmakers. That's like the theory. Yeah, and. Yeah, they they um there's an article out there and they have the scene in the dialogue at least what's in the script of like and it's a what's continuing the scene is like some kind of big context of like relationship dynamics yeah. and things and uh Joe Beth Williams is like oh you know it, it, it like almost describing it as a sexual experience of what she felt of the when being moved like that okay and I, I think that's what the script says and there's an article so like knowing all that context and you're watching like yeah there is this big cut of uh um and there's another thing that really enough to be a spectral experience that ties back to the end that was taken out of the movie too 
Okay. But that's just, I think, a normal studio deleted scene. Um, sure. The the monster, the tentacle monster that uh, drags around the wall. Yep. Um, and there's stills of it. Uh, there's stills of it from, um, I think, a production book or something that they okay. had promo. So we we have evidence of it, and uh, they cut it out. I think it was one of the main things to help them avoid a R, a R, R rating because it was a uh, very like implying a, a heavily like sexual assault type. Um, sure. So the poltergeist got a little rapey. Yeah. And knowing that kind of, and then seeing that, it was like, oh yeah, there's so much context of you know what's going on because the scene still acted the same. Or so that's, it. I mean, bigger picture. That's one of the reasons why I like this movie. One of the reasons why I picked it is because my movies are very mixed media. They're very mm-hmm. like comedy and horror. Mm-hmm. And I mean, in Greywood's plot, there's a very abrupt change. Like it goes from being essentially like a clerk style comedy for 45 minutes to being a undeniably a horror movie okay. and um it's i like that like yeah. i it, you don't see it very often that people do this i mean graywood's plot it definitely that strikes people in a big way but poltergeist does it too in that it is like because they were trying to avoid that r rating but it also is you know Toby Hooper and Steven Spielberg making a horror movie where mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg is always kind of teetering this weird place of, you know, especially at that time. Like, yeah. And his movies are so you, you iconically should be there's moments where you're like, how did this R rated scene get into a PG 13 movie? Mm-hmm. Like I can think of a handful of scenes just off the top of my head where I'm like, he has a dinosaur, two dinosaurs, bite a guy and tear him apart and throw him like that is but an it's... R-rated moment in a Jurassic in Lost World or the scene in um, a War of the Worlds with the bodies floating down the river where you're just oh, like, yeah. this is an R-rated scene in a PG-13 movie. Like he, he's great at that. He so then you throw in the Texas Chainsaw director and obviously we're going to get something absolutely and, wild you know and toby hooper at that time is he making this is he kind of the same year texas 2 coming out is that the same it year? has to be pretty close like, it's close because it's like you have that and his sensibilities are like okay i'm going more uh you know with texas 2 it's like you know, i love that movie that if, movie if, is to me an absolute yeah, you have that on your list yeah. um also and um you know maybe come back and do that one um or not maybe come back and do that movie and you know, it's there, right? And you have that, but that movie is like tongue in cheek and a full blown horror comedy. Right. It's just gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then you have Steven Spielberg like starting to ease because E.T. comes out the same year. Yeah, so he's right. and that and that was like the big rumor was like when I was a kid, I didn't quite like as a as a filmmaker now and as an adult and watching it and getting it and knowing how the business works, I'm Spielberg is a producer and he's a hands-on producer. So there is undeniably Steven Spielberg's fingerprints all over this. He probably actually did come in and direct some scenes and stuff. Yeah, but then the... there is undeniably Toby Hooperisms happening where you're like, the fact that like mom and dad are sitting in their bedroom at the beginning of the movie smoking a joint. Yeah, I'm like I'm... that is not a Spielberg moment. No, that is a it's... Toby Hooper moment. And it also even the fact that there's um 
this over scoping, you know, political commentary of yeah. the 80s just in plain sight. And I, I literally, one of the early notes is, you know, people complain today of, oh, things are too political. It's like, it's always been there. I mean, oh, yeah. He's reading a book about like Reagan, the Reagan presidency yes. or like the takeover for the exact name. And I mean, it, the movie starts off with the American, um, the national anthem playing and it's That's right. predominantly yeah. played throughout. And uh, it's really just whether it was Steven Spielberg's script or Toby Hooper or not. And I mean, the Texas Chainsaw Mass original is also a look at like, you know, the Vietnam War and, yep. and you know, uh, there's themes there. Uh, that's more Toby Hooper is, is that. And, and, um, I mean, yes, Steven Spielberg, especially this time with gremlins, you know, there's some reminiscence. He does love terrorize the suburban town. Yep. Um, especially that ending. I'm like, this is just that gremlins ending when basically the bodies are popping up. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we start off, um, exactly that way. And, um, I like where you got to just the parents smoking weed in the bedroom and it's uh it's uh it's a really beautiful like I one thing I'm taking away from this much is I'm more taking notes and they're a really beautiful relationship they have on screen. It's a really nice uh representation. We have a mother and a father in a movie that you don't get actually often. There's a very with all with everyone in the movie, there's a very sincere look at actual families or mm-hmm. like an actual family like it feels like uh um um what was i trying to say you're just actual it's, families yeah, yeah yeah yeah. it's 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 dynamics that you would see in a real household which mm-hmm. i think is was spielberg's big thing at the time like we watch et and the way they're like sitting around the what does he say? Some oh, calls penis, penis breath. breath. Yeah. yeah, and you see those moments where you're like, "This is what having this family would actually mm-hmm. be like." Oh, and and in this, you get that. And I, it's one of the things that, like, as a kid when I watch this movie, didn't really connect with me. But as an adult when I watch it, it that's my favorite part is watching the way they talk to each other, watching my... the way the whole family plays <laughs> off of one another. It feels real. I like that you say that because. Um, one of my favorite parts of this movie, or the whole movie as, as a whole, is uh, it handles silence really well. My favorite parts are the quiet moments, um, you know, and, and like I so said, the family dynamics, right? Like burying the, the, the parakeet or the bird or, you know, and, and the little brother playing around, like fucking with his little sister is kind of kind of a perfect dynamic of all of that going on. You see how they function but they're happy together and the dad's busy, but whatnot. And I mean, the movie even starts on a gag of like the, the remote changing of the neighbors. Like it's just, um, it's, it's simplified chaos and a gag. That's fun. It it brings you into that world. Um, I do want to ask about, um, part of the, uh, I can't help but that analyzing the set decoration of the children's room is like one of the all time because the posters are widely ranging and the main piece is the alien poster for this six year old and this, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, this what ten year old and the six year old something like that, yeah, yeah. And I was like, what? Okay, the Star Wars makes sense, the Super Bowl makes sense, and 
I I do want to say I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to get into any like the curse stuff here and that. It's all really sad and just real life tragedy and right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there is thing about the the Super Bowl poster that is super eerie. Um, I don't know if I know this. Oh, okay. So it's for a Super Bowl 1988. So it's they made it like six years before or later. Okay. And that, and they said Pasadena, California, and if I get the city right, it's something in California, and so it's all in the poster. They don't get the teams right, but they get the date right. Interesting. And, then, and that date, um, I believe they get the date right. Um, but what's eerie about it is that's the day that I think they either, that um, Carol Ann, the actress who plays her, was diagnosed with her illness. Oh, so I'm saying there's just another. I guess one I, that, I did hear this story. I, yeah, I did know that. Yeah. It's another one of that layer to that really sad thing. And, and I read it today. And I do want to, if anyone is listening, and you do want to learn about the cursed and that and whatever your thoughts are, um, there is a, a Shutter episode for cursed films about this movie. But I always recommend E True Hollywood Stories did it. Okay, I think they did it better. All right, right on. And because uh, I think it's like an hour and a half, it's a full blown documentary, and um, that's where I. Um, so if you asked me at the age of let's say thirteen, or something, I would have said, "Yeah, Poltergeist is a good movie. It's starter horror. Don't think it's that scary." Um, you know, I think it's good. I don't think it's that scary, man. A thirteen year old, you know, you right, think right. Every, you think everything your opinion matters. And then I watched the documentary, get a little more creeped out by it, just by the reality of it. But I'm also like 15 at this time. Sure. Ever since then, this movie terrifies me. I mean, it's the only movie that I know of that I started off going, I don't find it, I don't, I find it normal. I would say, oh, you could watch it, you know, start a horror. Like my wife doesn't like horror movies, but I, I would have no, said, I, I would have said, oh, it's easy, you can handle it. The older I've gotten when I've had apartments and homes and responsibilities, you know, I don't have children yet, but all that, this movie becomes scarier and scarier. And uh, for our main show, we just did a top 10 horror, favorite horror movies. I put this at like six. Yeah. You know, it it gets me. <laughs> so I have found that movies that scare me the most are the ones or creep me out the most are the ones that i initially didn't find all that scary mm -hmm. and i think they need to live in my head a little bit so and i need to grow with them so like uh this is one of them for sure it's when i was a kid this this movie was not scary because there's no. not that many jump scares there are a couple it's but, the clown it that's yeah, really the tree the it. clown honestly even like the face peeling like that never creeped well, the clown ship creeped me out because it's, it's a creepy scene. But yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you, Josh, on that. Like, it grew. It grew into the sense where I go, ah, you know, it's it's 10 o'clock. Maybe I want to go to bed at midnight. I don't need to throw that on because then I'm going to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those are so those are like my favorite. And Toby Hooper has a couple of them on my list that are like that. But, you know, like when I was a kid, we watched so much horror and then everyone talked about The Shining. Mm -hmm. And at, when I saw it when I was a kid, I was like, this is lame. Like, there's nothing scary about The Shining. <laughs> this is totally fine. And then I got to the point where I had kids. I had a mortgage. I was writing a lot. I was working on stuff. I was working for Kevin Smith at the time. 
um, doing animations from his podcast. Oh, cool. And I was working and I was working a full time job as well. So I was working like 40 hours plus 40 hours every week, like Shit. 40 hours at my day job and then 40 hours to get these videos done for Kevin that I had to get done like every two weeks. I had to video done. And I don't know why, but for some reason, I was working really hard and was like, I want to watch The Shining. Oh, I know why, because I actually did an animation based on it was like we called the episode the brining it was kevin was talking with his friend brian johnson about the shining and the joke became like him losing his mind okay. and whatever so i was animating this thing i'm like well i gotta watch the shining to get into the right mindset for this and i watched it and was like oh my god this is terrifying i am jack torrencing real hard yeah, right you now really are paralleling uh yeah that uh wow but yeah you're not to really fully distract, but that is that is where that that shining story is amazing, and that's what happens though. And that I mean, that's the sign of a good story and a good movie. Yeah, like, that and is the when you can relate to it at a, yeah, you can relate to it at a certain point in your life, and it hits home. And so then I got to the point where I was putting on The Shining, and for years, The Shining was my favorite movie. Like if mm -hmm. anyone asked, it'd be like The Shining, favorite okay. movie ever. It's because it hit me so hard right then that I was putting it on in the background while I worked and it was just playing on my like second monitor or third monitor, like 24 seven, just repeating. And my wife would come downstairs and she'd be like, you're creeping me out watching mm -hmm. this so much. It's a little too repetitive. And, yeah. And I'm, I'm like, I put it on because anytime I start to get depressed or feel shitty or mm. feel like I'm losing my mind working on these animations, I can always just go like, at least I'm not Jack Torrance right that's now. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Oh my god, that's the the parallels right there. Yeah. Um But so, uh, Poltergeist to me right now hits especially hard. Um well I watched it like a few months ago, I put it on again. Mm -hmm. And I didn't watch it like right before this. I just didn't have the time. Sure, things yeah, were going I mean, on. But but I know, and I know the movie so well that I was like, I don't, I could talk about it for days without yeah. having to see it again. But I watched it a few months ago and that stuff hit really hard because I'm like, I, there was a part in the movie I always hated. And it's when they finally think they've got the poltergeist out of the house. The this house is clean. It's, the house is clean. And uh, she gets in the tub. And yeah. I was always like, who does? Who would do that? Like, there's no way in my never. And now, and then as an adult, I was watching it the, a few months ago, and I'm like, God, that does seem like something my wife would do. Mm -hmm. My wife would be like, No, I'm gonna go it's hop over. in the tub. It's over. We're done. And I'm fine. I'm like, There's just something. There's something very relatable about it's... the way that that they all play out. Even yeah. the way the kids act, the the way the 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 little boy acts reminds me of my son a lot. <laughs> just being, you know, just I don't know. There's things, there's parallels, yeah. and when you get those parallels, it makes it extra creepy. No, I'm, I I I get it. I get it. Yeah, it's it's looking at it, and then it's uh, it's the the only thing I still and no one can convince me wrapping my head around is the like the placement of the clown uh, puppet everywhere. Yeah. Right. The sitting in front of the bed in the rocking chair. I'm like, no way. Even if it doesn't scare you, it's going to scare me at night. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then like, um, 
maybe Carol Ann's young enough where she just wants to hold the clown, like, in that, in the scene, the second scene where they're being wrapped into the, uh, at the end scene when she's sleeping with the clown, you know. Yeah, right. Other than that, that's the only thing in this movie you can't convince me that makes sense. <laughs> I think uh, that's a very, um, Toby Hooper, th- so those kind of moments are the ones to me that just scream Toby Hooper. Because mm-hmm. Toby Hooper has a very weird, his his perspective on reality versus movie reality. Sometimes he, he visually show things that are very on the nose. Like, this is supposed to be creepy. I'm going to make it way yeah. creeper, creepier than could it's... ever happen in real life. With that being said, my kids have some toys that sit out in their room that I am like, that is like kind of creepy. Like <laughs> the, that stuffed animal, it, it doesn't, yes, it's not the, the clown. The clown is yeah. next level. Creepy. That's what they, that's, but it's selling it. I mean, it's one of the original, what you know, I'm saying one of my favorites, but I'll, as I think is yours is like, it's like the original child's play, right? It's like that doll. I mean, I know children, you know, they have the buddy doll, which is very similar mm-hmm. Even without, you know, the Charles Lee Ray look of it, it's still, it's like, creepy. creepy. My kids uh, won't even look at it. My kids won't, like, it was a running... My kids won't even, wouldn't even say Chucky. If I said I Chucky, it. they would be scared. Just, But it's all based on the visual. They've mm-hmm. never seen the movies. They have no idea anything about Chucky. They've just seen that doll, and it terrified them for years. Oh. Finally, my kids are a little past that. But, like, I was watching the new Chucky series, and they walked in at one point, and they were just, like, they were fine with it, which surprised me, because I thought they'd lose their mind. Yeah, people, (laughs) that's a whole, talk about people who, earlier, allowed to seemingly on surface do what they want with the story. That's the Child's Play franchise ever since Don Mancini's had full range. Um So much fun. But even, like, like, uh, I've mentioned a billion times in every podcast. My wife can't do horror movies. She still has that up as a kid burnt into her brain of what, you know, Chucky is yeah. in that sense. And I'm like, no, no, you would like this if you watched it because it's funny. It's, yeah, it's it's something completely different and than what you think. But they can't get over, speaking of things I have, yeah. Nice. Too. You can't get over the hump. Um, anyway, so... Um, I don't know. I'm going to jump up here uh, because really, I mean, there's there's so much to this. And uh, I always remember finding it crazy to me that uh, so I'm 30. And I would say, yeah, when I was 12 or 13, they used to play, uh, you know, Mad TV a lot on Comedy Central or whenever that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember being dumbfounded at putting two and two together that Joe Beth Williams was the you know, one of the main comedic, uh, you know, actresses on Mad TV. Yeah. And um, just like that casting, right? Like all my notes say call Greg, Craig, T, Craig, Craig T. Nelson coach, you know, I, coach did this. And honestly, it was my thing as a kid. One of the reasons I didn't like Poltergeist when I was younger, or it wasn't like one of my top horror movies mm-hmm. is literally because I could not get over the fact that it was coach. Like <laughs> in my little kid head was just like, it's That's just coach. coach. It's coach. I can't get over it. Um, as an adult now, I've, I've essentially forgot coach. And now Craig T. Nelson is poltergeist. Like he, that's what I think of, yeah, he's um, Steve. which is, which is, yeah, which is funny how it 
changes. Like with time, it can change. Mm-hmm. Um. So, you know, she does do that, right? And we already said like the the with the Pizza Hut scene. I think it's a good way to put like chairs start moving around. And I Dude, mean, that fuck. scene is one of my favorite scenes. And, it's just iconic. Mm-hmm. The rearranged chairs. And how excited, like, Joe Beth Williams is about, like, the, what's going on. She's intrigued, and she's, like, you know, there's a spiritual, um, a spirituality to her thought behind it. Yeah. And she comes home, and I think I'd be more Steve in this scenario, you know, being like, what? This is, this is This is really terrifying. Off. Yeah, this is I, really not cool. I like that they go to the neighbors, um... And by the way, I you know, forgot to mention in uh, the last night, the, the, the disturbance is already starting to happen. Um, the the TV scrambly with the there here and the house had like a large earthquake that fucked up each room. And no one else had heard it, right? So it's weird, but nothing they're like too thinking about. The one thing I, I know we're still really early in the movie, but I noticed this time of watching is the way that glass breaks into her, into um, uh, the the brother, the brother breaks into the old older sister's uh, cereal. Never okay. noticed that before. I don't even know. I don't you know. know what I'm they're no. drink, they're sitting at the kitchen table. It's like yeah. right before the the chair scene, kind of because it's breakfast, and he's drinking the milk, and it just pops. Oh the, yeah, the yeah, 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 pops yeah, out yeah, from yeah, the yeah. bottom. Right, I know what you're talking about. First time I ever noticed that in this movie because it's it, and it's it's the ghosts, yeah, but it also just looks like he broke the glass, right? There's no, I rewound it, there's nothing in the frame that shows any force of a glass being broke, right? Amazing. Um, so all that goes on, they go to bed at night. And this is their, I would say, her first wave of terror, right? Yeah. It's, uh, and that's where this, this movie, and you have the Spielberg score that, that, uh, well, this is Jerry Goldsmith, but that intoxicating suburban score. And then when the, the, the crazy shit happens, it's more the sounds of the room. And the silences it lets go and does not give you that score. Yeah. Um, and uh, so this is when the fucking tree. And my dad, by the way, had that talk with me about uh, lightning once. About counting backwards. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um. But the, the the tree, it goes, and all of a sudden, like, wind's going around in the room, and the kids are freaking out, and the tree busts through, and it's it's going to eat, um, I, why do I keep wanting to call him Mike? It's not Mike. I think it's Robbie. Is it yeah, Robbie? Robbie. It's Robbie. We're going to eat Robbie, and uh, Carol Ann's holding on for her life, and they're running around, they have no idea what's going on, and I mean, literally, the, the ghosts are coming after the, the, the two youngest children. Yeah. I mean... Robbie right. would have been dead if they didn't wrestle him down. Um, yeah, so they're 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 going through that right, and as that's going on, they save Robbie from like this tree, and there's a tornado, but it's only hitting their house, right? Um, 
uh, Caroline gets sucked into the closet, into the light of the closet, and they hear her through the TV. They're screaming her name, and she cries out, you know, Mommy? Or something of the, the lines. And uh, that's kind of where the, you know, I would say the, the point of it, the, char- the charm of anything, just, it's horror. Right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, to me, like, you are you hit the nail on the head with, you know, using a Jerry Goldsmith score and giving it that. It is, it's Spielberg, but it also is, like, Jerry Goldsmith did, like, the Omen score. Yeah. So it still has that, like, creepy, that creepiness to it. Mm-hmm. But then it does, it does something really different that is one of the reasons why I'm like, it's not, there's no way that. Toby Hooper wasn't massively involved because <laughs> letting those silences breathe is not the, uh, the Spielberg. I mean, no, he wants a, you to know the emotions. Yeah, that's a Toby Hooper thing through and through. Give him the like build, especially coming off mm-hmm. of like Texas Chainsaw. Like there was Texas Chainsaws filled with those moments of just quiet. hearing like the, the crickets in the field. Like that's all you hear. It's just the sound of what's around. And, uh, and I, I think that's one of the things that makes it hit harder, or it's one of the things that works really well for me that that sets it apart from a lot of other, mm-hmm. you know, not jump scare horror is that the tension because of those silences and the tension because of the hearing the little girl, you know, through the TV, you just it it's Mommy? unnerving. Mommy? Yeah, it's yeah, like so it's, unnerving. Um, and, you know, as a viewer, especially you don't know. You don't know what's coming. You don't know if she's alive. You don't know if you're going into the unknown. Like, we know the movie. Right. Uh, but so unnerving. It goes, I mean, for my note at that point is, you go from zero to 20, then to a thousand. Like, there, yeah. it's this big jump. Um, You know, so, yeah. It's, uh, you know, I noticed, now you mentioned the Jerry Goldsmith and the Omen. Um if any anyone listen, let the credits play next time with that because it starts with the same score, and then there's the chance. There's yeah. the um, the angelic chance in it that you don't hear in the movie, but you hear at the end. I'm like, now you say it, I'm like, yeah, that that's there because it's not creepy until it's creepy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, um, you know, then they they do a quick jump, and what I do love about this is there's no, even though it's a little longer, there's no time wasted. They're like, how do we get fix this? They go to the university, so the uh, coach goes to the university, and they go find a para, was it uh, parologist, paranormalologists, uh, parapsychologist. Sorry, yeah, parapsychologist, and they get right over there with all their equipment. Yeah, and they go through, and I love the one guy being like, "Yeah, you know, we we recorded this thing. It took ten hours, but you see it crawl right across the thing." And they open the door to the bedroom, and shit's just rolling around. That I will say is probably Sp- Spielberg there because there's yes. too much cutesy stuff going on. It, very not Spielberg, critique, but it's very like no, no. It's just it is very Spielberg. Yeah, and uh, it's like, got oh, a it's got a funness to yeah. it's it's like fun and. Over Boys the top, and, yeah. And the records go in, and um, you know that's going there, and um, they're just they're just straight up in disbelief, and 
this is where we get my kind of first thing. And one thing I do find in funny of watching it just a little is how the daughter, how Diane, the oldest daughter, goes away, and Robbie. They're like, you know, we'll just keep him here with us. Yes. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, instead of as if they don't have another friend or family to be like, take <laughs> your brother, like get him out of here. Yeah. Um. <laughs> but it great calls for a great scene with him still there with the with the the conversation between um the the parapsychologist and Robbie and Joe Beth Williams all or Diane or I'm know I'm jumping around with characters names here um whispering this movie's the whisper acting is like off the charts they're they're just talking and they're talking about the human soul and people being passed on and you know even the even the parapsychologist you get this really like beautiful uh not full on monologue, but like thing about like how she feels failed and wasted. And yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's that's and that's Toby Hooper. That's that's a little like that that there's no purpose for that there and it fits and it's it's right also then before you get another burst of creep. Yeah, I, but I like so one of the things I really like about this movie is those moments are given time to breathe. And let us really enjoy characters who, I mean, we're th- how far into the movie are we at this point? Like we're f- 50, 50 minutes. minutes? Yeah. That's what I was going to say, 50 minutes. And we're getting new characters mm-hmm. who are, you know, talking about their emotions. Most yeah, movies don't do that. Most movies aren't going to be like, we're going to introduce a character and then they're going to talk. They're going to have a monologue about something. About things in, I don't in their that. life yeah. that, you know, most movies would be like, we can't do that. You can't introduce a character that late. And do no. something like that. You know, with that being said, though, that's a Toby Hooper thing. But also, look at the way Spielberg did stuff like that. With You know, he's done stuff with, um, you know, the character. I mean, Jaws. You spend all mm-hmm. of Jaws following one guy. And then 35 minutes in, another guy comes in. And then another guy comes in. And then we're given this, like, quint monologue. After you've just, barely got to know the guy, just he's a he's a rough and tough guy, and then he's giving this like heartfelt speech, this sad, dark speech, and like I love, I like that kind of stuff. I love yeah. when characters, when a character who maybe isn't the main character or a movie that's you know now it would only revolve around this family. I mean, I don't. This, people do some do crazy stuff in movies now still. I hate when people say, like, now they would never do that. That's not true. No, Someone would do that. But the fact that they did it in this, it just, it shines to me. Yeah, it's it's great. Like, I don't, I don't know if that existed in the remake, to be honest with you, that completely I have came never in. seen um, the remake. I think I tried to put it on, I put it this way, I tried to put it on once, and I don't remember if I ever completed it's like the Sam watch. Rockwell was in it? Yeah, it's a good cast. Yeah. It's, it's just, a great cast, yeah. It's just something that should have been touched. Yeah. Um, but uh, you're right. It, it's this little moment that breathes because even right before that, you still get like this weirdness of like even the character dynamics of the at this time the three paranormal investigators. Yeah. The two guys and uh, the one guy is like, "I'm gonna go upstairs. Fuck it." Like, and he's already seen the room crazy, and he's still not listening. Yeah. And he gets bit. And there's this big shark bite basically on his side. Yep. And uh, once again, the guy doesn't listen twice. He's the guy who then in the next scene... He's ripping uh, off his face. Rips his face off. But also the most wild move is 
I'm going in the kitchen to get something to eat, and he pulls out a full-on steak. I know. I'm going to fry up a steak at midnight, and he's eating a, a cold chicken wing. That I understand. The, the steak, I was like, huh? And then you get this great shot of the steak rotting out and slithering across the countertop. That's right. And, uh, yeah. It's uh, you know, it's a, it's a five minute, or probably not a five, even a five minute scene, but it's five minutes of just a nightmare for this man. It's this to the face rip, which this is one of those movies. Though sometimes it's like Family Guy ruined because they just recreated it in scenes, and then when I'm watching, I'm going, "Why am I remembering the Family Guy moment of it?" You yes. know, where they. He's picking at the skin, and then like, and um, I love it. I and I love that '80s effect of the fake head. Like recently, I talked about Terminator on this, and it's like the same type of head prosthetic. Yep, where he pops out the eye to, um, all in on the practical of it. Which this movie has a lot of crazy effects. Mm-hmm. Some look great still. Some don't yes. really stand the test of time. But there's something about the the face rip that just like looks so raw and nasty that I still love it. And those are, that's actually Steven Spielberg's hands. That's whose hands it was. I knew it was one of the, uh, the many times I read, uh, you know, fun facts or whatever. I knew it was one of their hands. I'm pretty sure it was Spielberg's hands, which to me is like, I feel like not to, not to keep going back to the Toby Hooper versus Steven Spielberg theories, but I feel like, mm. you know, Steven Spielberg is working on E.T. at the same time. And he's obviously putting his heart and soul into E.T. I feel like this movie was like the getaway fun time for Spielberg. Yeah. So maybe he was really hands on because he was like, we're just making something crazy over I believe this it. lot. I'm going to I want to be the hands that rip the face. <laughs> yeah, whatever. And then just approve it. Because what I've read a little bit about it and what well, it was more to be honest with what's on the wikipedia it's like there's two thoughts here is it was truly a team effort in the sense and like practice the effects guys and everything anew eventually to need to get approval from both men because one would if you know it had happened i think the stake thing actually that um Toby, uh you know they filmed the whole thing and toby hooper was like sure and steven spielberg was like nah that's yeah. not how it's done um, and then I think what blew up the conspiracy more is later in life, uh, Zelda Rubenstein yeah, yeah, um, yeah. gave like a scathing interview of how she was like, well, when Spielberg filmed all of my scenes and she only yeah, she was like six the six days. days I was there. Yeah. She's like the and, six days Spielberg was there. And she said something about Toby Hooper, like needed needing to be on substances whenever yeah, he was there or something. And him, and him being, um. Not fully there for like the shoot or the conversation. He was like one foot in the door, one foot out more. And then there's the other side of it that kind of conflicts it, where it was just like people were just like, no, Toby Hoover was just thrilled to be working with the man like Steven Spielberg, yeah. where he was like, I'm collaborative, let's do anything. This is my movie, but it's everyone's movie. And the second almost sounds more in line with what you learn about who he is as a director, because he's is known as a very nice and friendly person who is yeah. hands-on also hands-on collaborative so it's interesting because you know we might not be talking about it as much if she never gave those interviews later in life and i also think like i i haven't read the interview i don't know exactly i only read which... the clip on the wikipedia so everything i'm saying take with the you know, grain of salt yeah but i think i mean i've worked on sets 
I've worked on a lot of sets and a lot of times the director is focused on a specific thing happening. There's a great, there's a high chance that Spielberg did work with her that entire mm -hmm. time. And she barely saw him because he could have been working on a million other things that are happening at the same I time. Mean, and she's a secondary character to what's happening. So she's about to be, the, she's the showstopper, but she's yes. a secondary character. Yeah, right. yeah. She's a secondary character of what is happening. And I don't know if, you know, you don't know what's happening when you're, when you're making a movie, a lot of times you don't know what works, what is a showstopper, mm. what's hitting. So yes, obviously she was a huge part of the movie and one of the iconic things that we all still talk about. But at the time, he may have been like, I got to make sure I get this kid's performance right, because mm -hmm. that is actually what holds the movie oh, together. You're... Maybe Spielberg is working with her. So I'm I kind of see both sides where I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know who was doing what. I don't know what's happening. I have no idea. But that you're right. Logically, that could have been her perception of what was happening and been completely right, but also completely wrong because well, Toby I... was working his ass off doing something else. I under I understand it completely. We all have jobs, and when I'm an art director, and I, uh, you know, I have my small team, and I tell, I have a, listening today. I have a deep voice. I tell people I work with, "Hey, I might not. I'm not ever mad at you. Sometimes I'm just busy, and if I say something quick, it sounds yeah, angry yeah. because my voice is deep. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Every person, and they go, "Huh?" And I go, "Just it'll happen. Just you know." And I understand that because I'm busy. I'm not. But I have to, you know, any I have to approve what you're asking me, but I might not get my full attention until it needs it. Right. Um, so, but you're right. Yeah, there's different perspectives. So anyway, that interview's there and whatnot, but it's a collaborative film and film's a collaborative process. So, uh, and I love that we're talking about it in the sense of like, you see the DNA of both men in the movie that, you totally. know, um, so... <clears throat> So we have that scene, and that kind of ends the night, though, right? The the, yep. the like the horror there, and they wake up, and oh, I'm sorry, we do get one scene where they um, Carol Ann kind of the the spirit or essence of the TV because it comes through, oh, yeah, and that's it's, right. it's it's pretty important. I feel like she goes through, and she's like, we could smell her, and they know she's still there, and um, everyone's pretty traumatized though by that scene, and they do see the ghosts like a gaggle of them, a gang of them walk down the stairs uh, right. from the room. And uh, because of the scene, um, I have his name down, but the one production guy who ripped his face, he's done. He's like, I'm out. I called him production guy. He's not a, but he might yeah. have been. Maybe he's part of the crew and they're like, come on, act. <laughs> um, and then the other guy is going to stay back with uh, Joe Beth and the family. And then... Um, this the parapsychologist uh she has a deep connection with this family she's like i'm gonna be back and she does come back as we said with zelda rubenstein um who does steal the show but a little bit before that uh craig t nelson is, is his boss comes by the head developer of this plan and this is kind of where uh i think we get just enough lore too which i really like it's not like crazy it's not i think what the sequels do and i'm not too familiar with two and three um 
he goes, he thinks he's skipping out on work, right? They've been gone for what? A, a, they've been off for like a week. These kids haven't been in school. And he's like, you don't have the flu, but like, can I show you something? And he brings them up to the top of the valley in California. And I love the reveal. We get a reveal of a cemetery. And he yep. goes, I'm going to build you a home right here in our new development, looking over everything because we want to keep you. Like, you've been the best salesman. And Tells him that, you know, we should have made you a partner and everything. But then he reveals one big thing. He goes, well, we're going to remove the cemetery. We did it down there. <laughs> yep. And uh, kind of, you know, coach, kinda, okay, you know, doesn't, is disturbed, but doesn't even put two and two together until I love the last, one of the his last lines of, you move the body, you move the two, the headstones, but not the bodies. The bodies, yep. Um. Anyway, so we get that right. It's, and then, it's such a great delivery. It's so angry. He's just so, the way he says it. It's yeah. I mean, they're popping out. I, I actually I forgot. I, I always forget certain things in movies, and I actually forgot how intense that last scene. Cause remember the swimming pool, right? And driving yeah, yeah. away. There's always a little bit in between. I'm always like forgetting. Um, I know I'm jumping way to the end, but. Uh, my favorite film of all horror movies, Ultimate Nightmare on Elm Street, and that long hallway that never ends that she has to run through is straight out of Nightmare. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's so good. So anyway, now where we're at in the movie in in our conversation though, um, Robbie and um, Robbie and uh, the dog. I love that the dog lives. I've been seeing way too many movies where they're just killing these dogs for shock value. Uh, goes actually. Don't tell them us where they go. They just get in a cab and they drive away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no right. adult. There's no anything. It's just <laughs> bye. Call bye. me. <laughs> I was like, you better call. He's like seven. <laughs> uh, but they send the kid away. Um, and uh, we get introduced to Zelda Rubenstein. Um, what's her name in this? Uh, as Tangia. Yeah. Who, right. I mean, just from her stature, the way she speaks, does steal her bit. Um, 100%. And walks in and owns the movie and goes around. And this the one the one character thing I did write down that stood out for me is because of everything he went through, how dismissive Craig T. Nelson is of her immediately. Um, just being like, why is she here? What are we going to do with an exorcist? You know, and it's, you know, they, they rectify it quickly. Like, he's not a skeptic until, but it, it he does no other signs of that beforehand. So it was like, okay. Um, and, uh, you know, there, um, she gives this explanation because she's like, I have to go in the room when this house has many hearts. And, um, she does have, and she has wit too. She's like, oh, You gotta get down here. I'm gonna prank my neck from talking. And, you know, she takes Joe Beth Williams' hands and she feels everything that's going on. And she's like, Your daughter's here and alive. And there's a lot of, lot of beings living here. And it's, it's this awesome monologue she gives. I don't know if it qualifies as a monologue. We'll just call it speech. But yeah, I mean, it's it's it's, it's pretty much a monologue. Yeah, she gives this. She gives two awesome monologues. She just yeah. holds her hands and she's like, "Your daughter's here." Um, but then she's uh, 
she's creep, but she's like there's a, a deep evil that's that's blocking everything, you know, and uh, basically it's like all right, we got to get her out, and um, so they're um. You know, they, at first she does say she's like, run to the light, Caroline, run to the light, Caroline. <laughs> I'm going to do some bad impressions with this <laughs> one. Um, it's pretty good. Caroline, run to the light. And, um, you know, uh, we get another night kind of uh, thing. And they use Robbie. I forgot to mention one thing I love. They use Robbie's idea. Robbie the night before talks about, why don't we just tie a rope? He like, d- oh, he does. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a kid. It's a very kid like idea. It's a simple, a simple concept. And they're like, but- huh. I- so, um, you know, and they, they you get this feeling like, because this is now Spielberg. There's wonder here, right? The, uh, the, the, the investigator that stayed behind is named Ryan. Ryan's throwing the tennis balls into it. He's amazed. And there's that goo. And I don't know if you ever see anyone ever see this movie. I don't think you could ever forget the jelly that's on everything. Yes. Yep. Um, and, uh, all right. So they throw the rope in and they're standing there and in the room and the winds whipping and another Spielberg is him and his buddies out to him. They love a silhouetted kiss. And, uh, you <laughs> oh, know, yes. and the window blowing and it's very like romantic and, um, there's a great joke that happens in between all this, all this, uh, tension and heart where she goes, I'll go in, you know, and, and, um, uh, Zelda is like, no, no, I'll go in. You've never done this before. And Joe Beth Williams goes, neither have you. Neither, and, yeah. And she goes, oh yeah, you're right. Okay. You go <laughs> like it, it. It's so funny, but it's perfect. Cause that, yeah. And, uh, you know, she goes in and there's some tension, right? And she pulls her daughter out and they're both, uh, and please correct me if I've missed anything really, but they're both just in distress and they bring them to the bathtub. And this scene actually made me like, made tear up and get emotional of the parents saying breathe and get, you know, he's telling her breathe and the love and the, um, they're filming everything, but they put their cameras down, you know, they, they, they. So let the family be, and uh, just—that's when she gets her iconic line. This house yeah, is clean. Yeah, yeah. Which I stole. I, I stole that for uh, the Good Exorcist as right. well. So there's another. There's there's like maybe three stolen mm-hmm. moments in the Good or references to Poltergeist. Which the first exorcism he does, it's like he's dancing to death metal music, and the girl like vomits blood or like this black goo all over as she is exercised Mm -hmm. and he leaves and he's like this house is clean even though it's like a mess behind them Hmm. um then i also did one where all of these like tchotchkes or whatever that the mom has are like spinning around stanley at a scene which i stole from like the spinning stuff in the room and i just did my like very low budget version of it that's great um and then i did the there's a scene I didn't do it in one take. I did a cut, but I did. Dan walks from one room. uh, He's like checking out the area. He walks from one room into another room and then walks back. And between the time that he walks from one room into the next, 
the whole room gets destroyed. Like everything is on the floor, the couch is flipped and stuff. We did it like we had the camera move from one room to the other. And then as we moved back, I stopped the camera on the door hinge or whatever. Um, and then we paused, we basically paused, we tore the room apart, and then I kept moving. And then in editing, I made it look like it all oh, that's happened amazing. in like one I, take. Um, but those three are all stolen. Like they're just me loving okay. poltergeist moments. They're homages. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Not stolen. They're homages. Yeah. Um, got it. You know what's it, that? That I that uh, this house is clean though. I think I can't be the only one. Jim Carrey from Eastern for had to ruin that for all of us, right? Oh, yes. like one hundred percent. I have exercised the, the demons, <laughs> like you know. I um, like, like another thing. It's like I can't help but think of the parody before the real thing, but the real thing is perfect. Yeah, I mean, The Simpsons did a, the really great episode. Is I think is the first um Halloween episode where they did the house, like the oh, Simpsons yeah, yeah, move yeah, into this yeah, house yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And there's this scene that Homer goes into the basement and there's like all of the the graves down there and it's like, you know, ancient mm-hmm. Indian, Indian burial ground or whatever. And that always ruined like the concept for me because <laughs> I saw that first. Like, yeah, I knew oh, about that for years. So I was always like, it's almost like the parody overtakes the original yeah. and it becomes more of a parody so it's hard to like take that concept and be like no they did it first like this I is know. the this is the right one i mean that happens with anything uh my my wife's favorite movie is not another teen movie and she's like wait like she's all that right she's like wait what and i'm like yeah yeah no that's a that's right and you can't watch that now if that's your favorite movie yeah exactly um that's like i mean the, the whole thing of the time is uh the iconic eddie murphy stand-up of like he literally goes the poltergeist is out it's like number one in theaters and he was like it was between white and black families and he was, he was like get out of the house he's like all right bye yeah you know like <laughs> um and it's it's a great and i, I i'm with you they they um you can't not think of it, but so that ends. And most other movies, you would end here. Exactly. Maybe one other little scare. This is when, um, I sort of watched this earlier, and uh, my wife's name's Laura. She goes, well, is, this, is this almost over? She wasn't watching. She was like on her phone. And yeah. you now there's some time. Go, you know, I was like, go, like, I think she took a shower or something and was still going. Um, but yeah, then we get, I mean, that's when it's cranked up. I think that last 10 minutes, right? 15 is as scary as it gets. That's yeah. when you, like you We're said, show that the, the yeah. tub. Yes. Uh, and then she goes over into the bedroom, she checks the kids and she does look like she's going to kind of relax on the bed a little bit. And, and then it cuts the kids. And. You know, the clown wraps around and it does have a demon face. And uh, Carol Ann's holding on again to the fucking <laughs> to the bed frame. And, yep. And uh, it's how upsetting it is actually watching Joe Beth Williams uh, being dragged up and down all around the, the room. And, and I mean, that's two years before Nightmare on Elm Street does that. Um, like yeah, I said, and in a, a PG movie, in a PG movie, and <laughs> she's in her underwear. Yeah, you know it, it's like I said, there that scene. Um, knowing after today, it's supposed to be like more of a uh, disturbingly sexual. 
makes it even more apparent when I watch that scene. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, and and if you haven't seen it, look up the the the, the iconography of like the 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 tentacle monster shooting. It looks like it would have been really very Sam Raimi kind of interesting. Well, yeah, I cool. haven't seen that. Um, there's no footage of it. It's just right. stills from but, a thing, right? And so she's getting rolled around in the room and the kids are going. And I mean, the house is just turned. It won't let her in. It's zapping everything. It's truly like the kid that it needs those kids. So, and I think, I think it's interesting that, you know, this movie does this because you have that iconic, this house is clean moment. And it's so well shot and so well crafted that we truly believe the movie's over. Every mm-hmm. time I watch it, I still am like, "Oh, there's still more, though." You, I, like, you me, almost forget, like every time that it's could, not over. You could have told me they drove to. Uh, they drove to the motel after that scene. Yeah, and I exactly. Been like, yeah, yeah. That, I forgot that happens. The the pool happens during the, the cleaning. Yeah. Um. One thing I do I want to note, and I forget where I watched it. Um. I think Joe Beth Williams. I don't know if it's part of the cursed, you know, stories of this. Had like hotel room haunting experiences during the filming of this movie, and I forget if it's in those docs or if I saw. Do you remember A and E had a biography, celebrity hauntings? Uh uh-uh. uh. A and E channel had a series called Celebrity Hauntings. Okay. And, they were, and I'm pretty sure she told hers on that. Right. And on. It, I mean, they were well done. It was like creepy stories. I remember like the actor who played Bubba from Forrest Gump, you know, had a story about something. Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, just remembered I watched that. And I can't remember if it was from that or I'm just thinking it's a segment. But yeah, yeah, she would go to her room at night, and apparently things would just be like moved around where she was. Yeah, staying. She, I, I I remember hearing this. I don't remember where I yeah. heard this, but she it's, would go back to her hotel, and it would be like pictures were like on a slant every yeah. time she would come in and stuff like that. So anyway, I just had to get that out there while we're talking about it. Um, but anyway, this ending, right? So she's going out, and she can't do those things. So she runs outside and starts screaming for the neighbors and help. And she falls into the swimming pool, which is just a swamp pit of mud because it's yes. raining so heavy. And the skeletons are coming out of the ground. And the the coffins are grazing out. And I actually forgot the sheer volume of, like, skeletons and coffins. It's a lot. And apparently real. Yeah, that's that's apparently where they believe if there was a curse introduced in this movie came from because it is cheaper to get human skulls from like donations than it right. is to do the props. And I believe that technique I'm if I'm not mistaken, filmmaker said we still use that today. I wouldn't I'm I wouldn't not believe it if someone told yeah, me. I, like it seems like it could be legit. I have never used a real no. human okay. skull, but I You could have mine when <laughs> I pass. <laughs> uh it's on recording, so yeah, we'll, uh, <laughs> I'll um, take it. All right, great. Um, um yeah. I also, I also heard uh, that this might be a rumor too. I don't know for sure, but it's just a fun fact. Uh, and kind of hit home for me. 
that pool scene, she was she was terrified to get in the water because they were running so much electrical gear. You know, you got yeah. lights set up and everything. So Spielberg was actually in the pool while all of that I was did being filmed that. as yeah. well. Yeah, which to me that sounds like Spielberg was just having fun and was like, "I'm gonna get in the pool too." Like (laughs) he just went and did whatever he wanted on this movie. That's great. I I did hear Keeper Comfort. Um, Yeah, they. I mean, yeah. There's. I mean, there's often like the 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 next scene with the 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 kind of the the clown, the mechanical kind of stopped working, almost actually choked the kid out. Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah, like very like it's. Anyone worth listening, and anyone listening, it's worth it to go read and watch these docs and stuff on the curse because it is interesting. Uh, but there's also heartbreaking shit in it. Yeah, you know. So um, I will say though, movie is sad. I have. I mean, I've worked on a few movies, and I can tell you, like things go wrong yes. on every movie. Like it happens. So like the animatronic not working properly and almost choking the kid like that does not surprise me in the least no, it, it, i have it, been on a ton of sets where i'm like oh that's not good <laughs> so it ha- th- these happens. things happen a lot yeah um so kid almost yeah it wraps she does get them out of the room because mm-hmm. the neighbors save her out of the pool yes She's like, we gotta go inside and the neighbors like <laughs> We saved you. Your kids, they're done. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, she uh, she runs up the steps and blah, 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 and gets them out and finds thing. And I, I do love that we do get a representation of now the, clo- the, the closet is this living organism that's actually yes. going to suck them in. Like, the house is alive now. It's not, it's not even a like a ethereal portal right in the ghost floating around it's alive there's yeah it controls everything and she runs out with the kids and coach pulls up with uh the invest with his boss and you know even dana is coming over soon and but now commotion people are coming out of her house and that's earlier we were saying this when she's like, "You the bodies?" Like he's so angry, gets in the car and he can't get the keys, and he's that was frustrating me so much. Fumbling around, and they get their other daughter, and they drive off, hitting all these cars. Yeah, and then the whole town just watches this house just fold like collide a collide in on itself. Yeah, a kaleidoscope. It just, yeah. Like, yep, <laughs> and it, and then we followed them to the hotel. And to our knowledge, they're safe. And then that swelling, happy music plays again. But it doesn't end as happy. I mean, there's just graveyards. The graveyard is coming alive out of the ground. But our family has run away. Yes. Which I love. One of my favorite things about this movie is that they spend the whole time, like, not just leaving. To end on a note that is like, you could have just went and stayed at a hotel from the beginning. Like the yeah. second stuff started going wrong. I love that. I love the fact that we watched this whole thing, this whole hour and a half long movie, what a two hour movie. Yeah. It just, it ends on a note where it's just like, Oh, we could have been done with this so much quicker than we were, but I'm glad we got to go on the adventure with no, them. And you point that out. And I'm, gl- I'm so glad. Cause I, I always think that, but I'm always like, well, they had to stay back for Carol Ann. But then I, you think back a little further, it's like, 
No, the minute that the the chairs started stacking on each other, yep. they could have left. Right. There's no, you know, it's not um it's not the conjuring, right? It's not like, well, if you leave, you're still fucked because there's an entity onto you. Right. I never I never thought of it that way because I don't I always always like, well, they're there. They they they're only staying because their daughters disappeared. But that's right. not true. It's not true. And even at that, like even if my kid disappeared, I just don't it it would be it would be I would be hard pressed to be like, once we're back, I'm I'm not I'm not staying there. I'm not taking a bath. Oh no, like I'm, that's I'm getting like, the hell out of there. And yeah, but I love that we get to go there. Like, I, that's um, the the flaw of logic makes for a more fun film for me. Yeah, no, it that now I'm gonna think of that thought flaw, because you're right. It they should immediately and they're well they we already established they're well off family. Well and often if they want to stay in a hotel for like two weeks, they can yeah, easily do let's... that. Let's just see what the house does a little bit. Yeah, more. let's like <laughs> let me lock the door with my kids in the room where the activity happens because the beds are still there. Yeah, exactly. Um, even Robbie being comfortable with it because I get it. Caroline doesn't remember Robbie. I'd be like, I'm, I'm not staying I'm not here, sleeping mom. Sleeping ever again? Yeah, mom. I am not. You are not leaving my side for a month. You know what? It's I watched. Um, I just watched. Uh, I. We'll be wrapping up soon, I assume. But I just watched a movie, a Shutter original, and I'm blanking on the name. Anyway, they they do that at the end. It's a couple that gets a home invasion. Okay. And the movie ends, and she's like, and I'm glad I'm not saying the name because if anyone ever wants to watch, and they're like, oh, you know, I've got over it. She's over the trauma, and the couple's better now. And then it gives you a little stinger at the end of. Actually, the people that invaded are back, and this couple's going to die. We're just not going to show it on screen. Yeah. And it's that same thing as the poltergeist of, like, y'all. So even the husband goes, you don't want to move? And she's like, no, we love living here. <laughs> you know, or something like, like Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, huh. Anyway, I don't remember. I think it's like it's like guests or house invites. It was all right. Okay. You know, nothing new. But anyway, um, anything you wanted to add on our Poltergeist conversation? Um, you know, I feel like we covered uh, everything I love about the movie and a lot to it in our, in our short time talking about it. Yeah, I mean, for for me, this movie is just something completely different than mm-hmm. what most horror fans talk about. Because, you know, it is pg it would be PG thirteen if it was made now, obviously. But mm-hmm. it it is so dark and so fun, and it does weird things. It takes these odd risks, mm-hmm. and it does stuff like you said. One of my favorite things in a movie is when a movie that has kept me interested. If I'm watching a movie and I've been interested in it for an hour, and then it you expect it to end or you expect it to go a certain mm-hmm. way and then it doesn't. It changes it up and it mm-hmm. keeps you guessing what's going to happen. If you watch either of my movies, you'll see that's what I do. That's what I love. And Poltergeist is sort of the epitome of that. It's, you know, it's a three-act structure, but not in a simple way. No, it really, and... it, its structure really bounces around and I love that it keeps me guessing. And I just movies like that get me. 
and it's you know it's great i'll leave it at that because it's 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 simple too right like i um i have the wikipedia up to my right just to help us out and sometimes they're like nine ten it's you know it's it's a whole book that people write them out there's four four five short paragraphs yeah this is out just to tell us what's going on and you, you know what wikipedia's could be and it's popular enough and you're right it's this these turns and it's simple but it surprises you i i love it man um, it's a slice of life horror movie in a really smart way and that's i love you said it with the wikipedia only being four paragraphs you can explain this movie in very very simple terms it's a haunted house movie it's mm-hmm. just a haunted house movie that is literally all it is yeah. and yet it's compelling from beginning to end um all right so Josh, where um where can everyone find you and get in touch with you and Well, for now, I'm I'm on Twitter as long Same as Twitter here. as long yeah. as Twitter lasts. Uh yeah. I, at Josh Stifter. Um I'm also at Flush Studios on Instagram. Uh-huh. Stifter.com is where you can see where my stuff is. And Good Exorcist, my first movie is available on Tubi or Amazon or Pretty much everywhere you can buy those, and, and Troma. Network. If you want to buy the Blu-ray, it's on Troma. Um, great, great Blu-ray. And then Greywood's Plot, my second movie, is available everywhere as well. Um, so yeah, great. I love that. I can't wait to watch um, and get that Blu-ray as well. Right on. All right, uh, you can find us here, the Flyover State of Film, and as Josh said, as long as Twitter is active, you know, we'll we will be. All right, well, stay frightful, everyone. Bye. Welcome to Flyover State of Fear.